Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 233 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. How are you all doing, guys? Um, it's good to be back. Obviously, I haven't gone anywhere. Oh, oh, we're here every week. But thank you for all the love of, of recent weeks. Uh, the Josh Weller episode weren't down a treat. The Dominic Monaghan one continues to be a favourite. And Angel uh, Jufria before that, the, the legit bionic woman slash cyborg uh they all seem to be going on an absolute treat so thank you for all the love this week's guest i often talk about how i get more out of the podcast than any of you guys and this week's guest is an example of that because as i've mentioned a few times i'm actually i'm absolutely rammed for guests at the moment and i'm getting a lot of people pitched to me now whereas for the first two years the guests were always just people i chased up now I get people pitched every week, um, and I turn a, a lot of p- people down. And this week's guest, Desiree Akavan, was someone that I got pitched, and I I wasn't uh, familiar with her work. And the the people pitching sent me a, a link to one of her films, and I thought I'll give it a look, and it blew me away. Th- that first one uh, was the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is currently. Are winning awards all over the place it should be in the cinema still if not it will be on i think on netflix soon and then i watched another uh, one of her films appropriate behavior which i think i got off amazon if you want to check that out and it blew me away even more and then the, they sent me two preview episodes of her series the bisexual which starts if you if you listen to this on wednesday it starts tonight october 10th my brother's birthday incidentally and it just absolutely i adored it um and it's it's all it's all filmed it's all kind of east london based and you know clearly if there is a series two i i look like the most stereotypical hipster ever so you know i'm angling for a uh a role in series two if that if, if that opportunity presents itself just putting it out there if anyone involved in the show is listening or if desiree herself is checking back on this episode um I got you. I'm your boy. <laughs> so, so it's one of them where, I've, because of doing this podcast, I've suddenly got a load of art that's completely to my taste in my life that wouldn't have been there previously. And what's more, I got to chat and hang out with Desiree and really connected. She was absolutely amazing and inspirational. I loved having this conversation. Again, seriously, check the bisexual out, out tonight. Just watch our one episode. If you're sceptical... I know there's this big, there's a backlash at the moment at times of people thinking that that st- that stuff is too PC or I mean we discuss it all in the episode, but honestly, just watch this show. You're gonna love it. Uh, Maxine Peake is always amazing. Uh, you should know that, and and Desiree is 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 a whirlwind of um of of talent that I seem to have just stumbled upon. So that's l- lovely. But before we get into the podcast, I should mention two things. The first is I've got next week I'm recording two podcasts and they're two of the biggest names, like literally two living legends. I'm actually recording five podcasts next week, all amazing. But there's two, I mean, there's actually three on there who legit, I would say, are are living legends and they've only been confirmed in the last uh, week. And I'm not going to announce them yet, but those who belong to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Pips, only 80p or a quid or something a month. 
they know that now every time I record one, I post um, a selfie on the Patreon to kind of reveal who I've been recording with. So them not know how far I am ahead on my recordings. But yeah, um, I'm going to post them. So I would recommend, I mean, as this comes out, actually, I would have recorded with one of the living legends yesterday and one tonight. Um, I'm Sky Plus in the bisexual, don't worry. I mean, I've seen the first two episodes, but I still want to watch them again. Um, but yeah, so jump on the Patreon and spend your 80p. It's not that much. Um, everyone who's kind of pledged seems to be st- sticking around. I was expecting a big drop-off after the first month because people like to do these things as a, as a gesture and then and then sneak out the back door, which is fine and fair. But yeah, I think it's worth it. So head over there and you'll see, and you can get all excited with that little crowd over there. Yes, so so, so there's that. And also, we're brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Winter is a-coming, and we've got hoodies, jumpers. We've we've still got a few of our denim jackets left, which went down an absolute treat. So um, we've still got them. We've got our varsity jackets. We've got all sorts of stuff there. We've got bobble hats. All sorts of winter goods. We've got the best umbrellas ever made. I don't know if you're into the best anything that's the best ever made, but that's what we got over there. Um, and we've also got a, a science section, which is now easier to find as I redid the web store. So go and have a look at all that stuff. Um, I'll get on with the podcast. I don't think there's anything I need to tell you about or anything I need to plug or push. I just want you to enjoy this. And as said, do watch The Bisexual. I'll be back at the end of the podcast to tell you about the two guests I've got next week. I'm doing um, a Wednesday and a Friday. I've got a bonus guest um, because I've just got so many good guests at the moment. But I'll tell you about that at the end because it's a really exciting one. Um, It involves AI, sex, robots, and sex robots. So I'll talk to you about that after this. But for now, this is episode 233 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Desiree Akavan. I really want to listen now because I heard you mention that you interviewed your dad about your parents' divorce. Yes. And I am I am in the process of doing that right now, so I'm really yeah. excited to, it, to listen. It's amazing. I mean, it's weird. I've, I've started rolling now. I should, should mention I'm joined, okay. joined by Desiree Akvan. Is it Akvan? Akvan, yeah. Akvan. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. It's weird because my start into podcasting, is something that came up as I was watching a lot of of your stuff recently. Because the reason, the thing that motivated me to do it was I interviewed a friend of mine who I met as a gay gentleman. And I I was interviewing him about his homosexuality because I was writing a script that had a lot of of that as the key or a a key part of the subject. Um, And one of the things I found fascinating was finding out that he found it almost harder to come out to his gay mates that he'd met a girl than oh, he the, so than he had found to come out to his straight mates that he was gay and it yeah. was kind of fascinating and a lot of that comes up in 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 the stuff that we're going to talk about but yeah. before we get there um yeah i'm really excited about this i've kind of binged 
<laughs> your last eight years of your life <laughs> within a month and been annoyed I've missed it at some house. So, yeah, before we get into, because I've made all these specific notes about specific okay, things that's, you. again, it's I'm nervous. If I was a professional, it'd be bullet points, but I, but it, it's always a sign that I was excited <laughs> as I was watching something. I'm like, oh, I'll write a small essay um, about it. So, before we get into it, what was kind of your route? into writing and directing and acting because your 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 family is Iranian right mm-hmm. and you grew up in in New York and the, the the thing I love about New York is it's a melting pot but a melting pot that doesn't need feel the need for everyone to mix together to stir, and be the yeah. same I, I always say that the last time I was over there I went for a walk and I started off feeling like I was in is in Brooklyn I started off feeling like I was in a Nas video and then <laughs> Briefly, I felt like I was in a Matt Yahoo video, and by the end, I was in a Yeah Yeah Yeahs video, and it was that kind of totally beautiful well that put. it had all these things right next to each other. So, how viable an option was it when you were growing up to to write, to direct, to to do all these things? Well, I I had a friend whose father was a playwright, and I remember oh, wow. thinking I really wanted to write plays, and I I wrote my first play well i'm being generous with the word play right now <laughs> it was it was a sketch comedy show called friday night live and you know like my favorite sketch was for an advert for something called vomlet the omelet made of vomit brilliant like most of the work i did was fart joke based yeah but it's still the funniest thing is. anyone who argues otherwise is, it's, it's is wrong yeah it's uh so i wrote a lot of sketches um i didn't have many or any friends at all. And I lived really far from school always, like several hours away. So I could never, I never hung out with other kids my own age and having plays and being like, I'll cast you in my play and we'll do it during research, uh, recess was the way that I got people to, to acknowledge my existence. And so I started doing that really young and in high school, I thought I could become a playwright and that felt like a real tangible goal. And then when I got to college, I really hated the theater scene there. So I ended up uh, taking a film class on a whim because this other girl that I thought was cool, I was a real wannabe. I was yeah. like the kind of person who'd like try to dress like the girl I thought was cool, <laughs> yeah. do my hair that way and talk the way that they talk. And this girl was really cool. She wore cowboy boots and slips everywhere she went. Amazing. So I wore cowboy boots and slips. And she was like, if you take this film class with me, which was at another school, I'll smoke you out on the way over. So it was like a 9 a.m. class. So we got like, we waked and baked. It was super brilliant, early. Brilliant. But I fell in love. I remember, you know, watching, I had never been exposed to world cinema before. Right. I saw like I Am Cuba for the first time and I was wow. like, this is incredible. And instantly I thought, I can do that. Yeah. And so that's when I got into film. Do you feel the slight isolation of living out of town has contributed to you being very much a well i'll just do it because again yeah. it's, it is you've kind of i'll write it okay i'll direct it i'll be totally. in it I'll, I'll, I'll do all of it because you're not again i i lived or i live in the same small town i've always lived in it's about an hour from london but it was an hour journey t- t- to school as well and it meant i'd never had that early s- social life at all. Yeah, it's and, really isolating. And it's, it, it does seem, Essex, right? yeah, yeah. And it does seem that the people I know who are the most, rather than asking how to do something, they just start doing it, are people who live in areas where 
boredom is a big part of their lives. <laughs> and boredom can be a hell of a motivator, I think. If you've got nothing else to do, then you create the art that you want and things like that. So did that kind of push you totally. forward, maybe? Totally. Every step of the way. It's funny. I just did an interview with someone who said, you know, when you first pitched your TV show, it was rejected everywhere. Did it make you want to stop? And I was just like, fuck no. If someone says, no, you reinvent the rules. Yeah. Like, who said those are the rules? Who said... Because when I first pitched this TV show I just made, every I pitched it in the states at all the net major networks, and a lot of the a lot of times I got this response of like, "Oh, but we already have our female driven show, or we have something gay already. Yeah. You're gonna have to take this somewhere else." And and that rule that there has to be one female driven project or one queer project or yeah. one city based project is is like who made that rule? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So it's- I'll find a way to do it some other way and 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 watching the bisexual in, in particular I've, I've seen i've i've got to see the first two episodes okay. and loved them and that was it was really it was exciting as a viewer it was also i will admit exciting selfishly because i've got a few scripts that i'd pitched about and it was that thing of people saying well is it a comedy or is it a drama and we're watching the bisexual it's like this is my point. It's your life is a comedy and a drama. It depends what day it and is the or worst what hour of the are day. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and that was exciting to see because I think you're right. You there is or, or there's a big change happening in TV at the moment. If it, it feels like as we're getting away from the idea of we've got our Friday night show or we've got our Thursday night show. It's like, well, is it a good show? Yeah, exactly. If it's going online, people aren't going to watch it on Friday night. They're going to watch it when they want to watch it. And that was, yeah, it seems like a good a good time for that. And what I really enjoyed about uh, watching The Bisexual was, and the, the two films I want to talk about as well, was that for a long time, the push for equality in cinema and in TV was, well, we're going to have more strong female characters and we're going to have more strong people of colour. But they were generally written by old white men still. <laughs> um, and because of that, the strong female characters were perfect and the strong black characters were perfect. (laughs) And that's not good characters. Flawed characters is what's exciting. And not to be offensive in a row, but your characters are very flawed. They're they're incredibly flawed people. (laughs) But that was what, it really made me notice that, that a lot of the things that I'd seen in the past as big steps forward, it was like, well, no, in that film, a Wonder Woman was wonderful and powerful, but everyone else was the more interesting characters. The, you know, there was a lot of male characters in it that were more interesting. So it is that thing is of going... dehumanizing? Yeah, yeah. I found that... So I grew up Iranian, and every time I saw an Iranian on screen, they were either a victim or a villain. Yeah. I mean, well, usually a villain, but every once in a while, a victim. And then every time I see a gay person on screen, or at least this is before the past five years, they've they've either been a complete walking joke yeah. or a victim. Yeah. And I'm not interested in either of those depictions. No, no. And again, and and that's what comes across. And it's fascinating because there's an area of people in the UK and in America at the moment who feel that equality is being f- f- forced down people's throats and that, sure. that stuff is getting made because it's PC or because it's whatever else. But they're wrong. The, 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 the reason a lot of black and gay and and feminine work is being is winning awards is because these are voices 
that hadn't had a chance to say their thing before and anyone who argues that that's not needed can just look at the fact that almost every film last year was um, a sequel a remake that tells me that the old white men who were writing everything have run out of ideas a little bit there's still going to be some good stuff from those guys again it's the worst time for me as a white male to transition into acting because it's like (laughs) all right all the good projects i'm I think you could pass excluded from. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I'm very hairy. I'm dark. <laughs> I've got, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot there. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating one. That the reason so, so many shows that are getting praise and getting nominated for awards and winning awards have gay storylines or female-led storylines or person of color-led storylines, it's because. They're new and exciting stories, and they're, they're ex- it's exciting to hear them and have them told, right? I'd like to think that. I, as a viewer, I want to see things I haven't seen before. As, as a viewer, I want to consume something different. Yeah. I mean, I'm a real fan of TV. I was raised by the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Like, everything I knew about what it was to be American, I learned on a screen. Yeah. And or morals or friendships or i mean and it was all very prescriptive yeah. it all looked exactly the same there was a very strict visual language and it all followed uh, a certain dialogue and and sex too oh my god i when i lost in virginity i was like this is what it is yeah. i was lied to <laughs> yeah, those sex scenes lied to me yeah and it's really exciting to be making things in a time where, because of prosumer uh, equipment, yeah, so many people felt empowered to tell their own stories, and yeah. also because of you know the marketplace changing so drastically so quickly, yeah, there is this oversaturation of uh, of homes for content. So yeah. you can reach your audience and you can make things in a different way. And suddenly you get to reinvent the rules of what it is to tell a story and what a narrative looks like. Yeah. And, and again, the, it, it seems weird to say, considering um, the series and the two films I've watched recently all have gay storylines and, and gay characters or, or, or queer, bisexual, all sorts of, of lifestyles in there. But, I don't feel that's what they're about mm. and that's what's great and the the way I kind of thought of describing it is that Lost in Translation isn't about heterosexuality yeah. it's about a confusing relationship and all these other films that have been these wonderful things we don't go oh it's a straight film we go oh it's this romance it's this and that and these films and and TV sh- a show that you're making happen to have gay by all sorts of kind of people it's in them. Coincidence but, but, yeah, <laughs> seems to but, follow me, but, but it is. But that's not what though. they're about. But that's yeah. not what they're about. There's 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 far more it's telling these just real stories. Yeah. Um one of the things that struck me in the in the bisexual in particular was just how instantly real every character felt. None of them it felt the first episode is like, right, I know I know all of these people and I was saying uh, just before you came in, it was kind of mildly frustrating that it was the most accurate depiction of Britain that I know on TV <laughs> in ages and it's come from an American so <laughs> how long have, like you must have lived over here for an extended amount of time right that's all right yeah yeah not that long but I've everything that's happened in the past four years yeah has gone into the show yeah 
and every I mean the night bus. Why has no one made a show that takes place on a night bus entirely? But before we started rolling, I was I was <laughs> selfishly plugging my own music. But on my last album, I had yeah. a song called Night Bus, and it's all about the night bus. I'm so, very much so there we go. You now. know, I'm kind of, it's a full plug all the way through. But yeah, <laughs> and it's fascinating, and that depiction of of Dalston and that kind of area. Again, just from looking at me, you can tell I've been to those areas. Yeah. It's it's kind of. But a lot of the clubs mentioned are places I've played over the years. But oh, I love that shooting in the Moth Club. Have you yeah, been there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I fucking love that place. And I, I went to see a gig there and I was like, this needs to be filmed. Yeah. Nothing looks better. And it looks, it's the most beautiful location I think I've ever shot in. Yeah. In terms of like how it looks on film. It's like a little 70s, it's a little golden, that wood panel, all of it together makes for a really perfect uh, location. And again, the beauty there is it's all just just r- real surely that's a lot easier to go all right let's find the location rather than try and build anything or make anything that looks i mean it's hard because locations are small and it's hard to fit the production yeah, in there but course. all those extras so we shot um aphrodite is the name of like a traveling well it was traveling when i last went but now i think they found a, a home a hotel or something but aphrodite is this like traveling monthly lesbian night in London and we wanted to have this Aphrodite night and we set it at the Moth Club and we were we had to find extras for it and it just felt really silly to me to call in the central casting extras and then dress them up real dikey. Yeah. And so we went to Aphrodite and we said, you know, we'll pay you guys what we'll pay extras, but would you and would you send out a casting call to your mailing list and could we use actual lesbians from London yeah. and have this feel the way it would feel if you were going out. And that was the most fun day all of us had on set. Cause Amazing. everybody, all the extras were just local dykes who yeah. showed up and were so excited <laughs> to be there. And the shots look so good because they're all the people who I see, you know, if I go out, I mean, I don't go out that often right now because I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. But did it, did it take a while to get everyone relaxed into it in that case? Because again, no, is, 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 is a lot of excitable no. kind of people. It can be. It was a night out, so it just was like blasting gold frap and dancing. Yeah. Every, yeah, we were just blasting it, and everybody was <laughs> like from nine a.m. all day long, and they were so game and had their energy up the whole day. Amazing. We didn't think it would be that easy. We thought like, oh god, the mechanics of shooting is going to wear everybody down yeah. if they're not quote unquote professional essays but um it was really nice that's great i i, I did a video a, a, around the corner from there and had a similar outlook but i realized the mistake i made was allowing everyone to drink because mistake. That's mistake i was like everyone have, have some drinks well. and dance and enjoy yourselves and by about the eighth or ninth <laughs> take it was like I've we're just gonna have to yeah. as long as four of us know what we're doing we can't tell these people I to know. cut they're just gonna keep going if music's playing or not and control it yeah it's I would messy. love to work that way, where everyone's just having a nice night and I happen to be making something that <laughs> I have yet to crack the code of how to let people drink on set. But it's it's great because all of that comes across on screen. It feels it feels r- real. And previously, every thing. attempt, I think, to kind of portray the Shoreditch kind of scene has either been a snooty, oh, look at these hipsters type thing, or really hipster and kind of aren't we cool and this is again it was like no not everyone here is cool yeah. no, no, not everyone here is wonderful it's not, not everyone hard. here has got it together you no. know i wanted it to be authentic and not feel like it was trying too hard and also uh not make anyone the butt of the joke yeah except myself i think yeah. i am often 
the butt of the joke. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to sex scenes, I am yeah. the butt of the joke. Yeah. Which I'm cool with because I'm the director, so I feel in a position of power with that. Uh, yeah, it's your I'm, choice. I'm it's so not pleased. asking anyone to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> I'm really pleased that um, the depiction of London is ringing true to people because that's the thing I was most nervous about. I am an outsider. Yeah. and But I also think it was helpful in that everything's making a very stark impression on me these past four years. Yeah. And I have made this place my home. I, I do. I've been living in Hackney, first Hackney Wick, uh, Clapton, Bethnal Green now. Yeah. So this is the tiny insular world, and I have been a lesbian here, or bisexual, excuse me. Yeah. See, I, I keep making this mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been hanging with lesbians. Yeah. I am the only bisexual that I know, but I am, um, so I knew the parties and I knew the world. Yeah. So how have you found, or I'll, I'll get into the, the, into writing the variations of, of, straight relationships and gay relationships but first of all how have you found writing love because what i've adored about again all three of the things i've seen is that um i think love is really hard to write in film and tv because when you've got time to think about stuff you apply logic and love rarely (laughs) applies logic and that's what i adored in well without giving any spoilers but situations like if you've split up with someone because you don't want to be with them and then they move on. Logically, you've made a choice. Even if you've moved on, you've made a choice. But that could still break your fucking heart. And it's, and oh it's what I love today, about it. I was like, earlier today, someone mentioned um, they live in the same town as an ex of mine and uh, knew my ex, and I just lost my shit. Yeah. I am in love Even with someone else no now. Attachment I'm in love and, with yeah. someone else. It's and I right. suddenly, I'm like, my whole body started sweating, and I felt yeah. like I was going to have diarrhea. It's a bizarre... Like, just her name. I was like, it. oh, God no oh god yeah i've had that no with I'll, I'll, a, a few months back I, I was on a train and i saw i saw an ex who i haven't thought about in ages and you weren't prepared at all and yeah that was exactly it i wasn't prepared and it was like i've not seen that person um pretty sure they've not seen me we're not having any inter- like again it was just that high right like, that's not person who's a person who's important in my life at all anymore the, like and there's no yet. animosity but there's also no regret or what could have been yet still that reaction of (gasps) yeah Uh, it's you where did you come from see how do you approach that because unless you're 100 percent mining from personal experience it must be a hard thing to write fiction on something that doesn't follow any logic or pattern or path you have to kind of just figure it out well, you do mine your own experiences, yeah. even when things aren't literally based on my life. When and I'm co-writing a lot lately with my producing partner Cecilia, and we have an encyclopedic knowledge of each other, and it's just strategically pressing each other's buttons and getting yeah. down to the truth of where that emotion lies in ourselves and how to apply that to what we're doing. Like my second film, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, is about evangelical christian teens in america yeah. mm-hmm. i grew up iranian in new york you know yeah. i yeah. experienced this personally could not be farther away and yet that film felt so personal to me yeah. it always starts with the personal it, you always find at least for myself that link into my own memories and putting my own uh heart into every bit of it how was that to to work on because it was kind of your first piece that you would were were only on the other side of the camera. How was that to let go of of such personal 
you know, Control. writing. And also, as you said, you if you're writing uncomfortable scenes for your character, it's fine. Yeah, I'm the director. Me, I'm body. asking me to do it. If you're writing them for, for other characters. Yeah. Especially how, how someone that? like Chloe Moretz, who yeah. this was like her 60th film. Well, that was one of the other things I loved was seeing the, the putting together of 21-year-old seasoned veteran Chloe Moretz when we shot. and 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 then and Sasha Lane who was a second film who was amazing in yeah. in American Honey so it's weird because it's two a young the ladies opposite engineers yeah but completely the same age saying they should have that same freshness yet one is as I said a 60 film veteran or whatever and the other is brand new yet they seem to sit so, so comfortable and, and well together and I don't know if they brought something out of each other, but it felt like the perfect film for Chloe at this point because it's the totally. the first thing I've seen in a while that I was like, wow, this is... It felt personal, it felt real. And she's someone who, like many people who blow up uh, when they're young, you, you then suffer that middle bit where you're not the cute kid anymore, but you're not old enough potentially not to be sexualised yet, yet or anything like that. Yeah, that kind of that middle bit where you're like, oh, what do we think of this person? Um so how was that to put these people together and to be directing but not having to take <laughs> the risks yourself as such? Before going into that shoot, I was scared shitless. Yeah. And it really took my writing and producing partner, Cecilia, telling me that I could do it. Um, I mean, I think that's the benefit of collaborating with your best friend. I mean, she, every step of the way, we made everything together. And... I trust her taste so much that if she tells me something, I just have to blindly follow it. Yeah. Even though I don't always trust myself. I love it. So I'm very grateful to have that relationship in my life. What's so cool about it. So it was incredible. Not being on camera and just directing was an incredible experience. Yeah. And I learned a lot and I made the reason the film is what it is, is because I'm not there. I was able to focus on my job and do it well. Whereas I think when you're on camera and you're directing at the same time, something's always taking a hit. Yeah, You're always compromising in one way or another. And the juxtaposition of Chloe and Sasha is what I love most in work. I like always something pushing against something else. Like I never thought of Chloe for that role. It was her team that asked for the script and they were looking for something new for her. Yeah. Because she had taken some time off and she was attached to play like the Little Mermaid in a Fox adaptation yep. and had a whole slew of studio films and dropped out of them and took a year off. She was 19 at the time and was trying to figure out her life and, and what she wanted to do next and what kind of an artist she wanted to be as a woman, which fucking hell at 19, I didn't quite feel like a woman. No. But she's a little mogul, um, yeah. like a businesswoman. And that's how I felt when I met her. I was like, oh, you have a really clear point of view yeah. as an artist. Um, was that intimidating? As because again, I think anytime yeah, a lot of your work has been y- your own writing, your own directing, you kind of think, well, no one knows all the stuff I don't know. If you, if you know what I mean, like no one can see. It's been it's been all in my control. Now I'm gonna be exposed for all the stuff that I, I don't know, and all the stuff I'm doing wrong. Yeah, not just that. Like exposure is one thing. When you step on set and your actor knows that they're the reason you were financed, you're letting go of the cards, you know? Yeah. Someone else is in control. Yeah, and that's yeah, of really scary and yeah. a necessary step in building your your life. And yeah. also, I mean, it's important as an experience as a director. I wanted to 
put Chloe. I was excited when I heard Chloe was interested because it was such a juxtaposition to me. Yeah. Like I would never think of her. Like to me, she was such a princess. Yeah. And a studio darling. And I, I really wanted to see if she could have the swagger of a dyke. Yeah. Like she is a lot of sex in this film yeah. and she is not a passive, uh, <laughs> like a participant in that sex. No. Yeah. She really pulls it off. Amazingly so. Yeah. Completely. So believable and real. None of it ever feeling performative like TV or sexy sex. for men. So, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that. totally not. And I wanted that. And then when Sasha Lane came into play, it was like, oh, yes, that's what I yeah. want to see. I don't yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. Sasha Lane in the same world as American Honey anymore. I've seen that. Yep. I want to see the like biracial dreadlocked girl who was discovered on the beach dancing yeah. with the perfectly coiffured, you know, uh, Prada wearing movie star that yeah. I've seen in the ads. That's the relationship I'm interested in. Yeah. And they totally met each other on the same level. were inspired by the other. Um, they hang like yeah. they're, they're bros now. And I really loved watching the two of them together on screen. I love that. It, and it, it was another one that, um, and that was the first um, of, 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 of your works I watched. And it was one that it struck me that again, the kind of, delicacy of 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 bringing all the all the characters in was beautiful because again it would be very easy to look mockingly at the christians at the at this camp that is a a a pray yourself straight camp essentially and it doesn't look at them it doesn't laugh at them it 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 demonizes them slightly but no more than all all the demonization is within the viewer if that that makes sense it doesn't Mm -hmm actively say here's the the backlit villain it says here's the actions and if you're you're watching as a a christian you may go oh that's lovely that's fine if if you're not then then well it's all facts you know like it's based on a book but then also the elements that we added to the film were fact based on of what gay conversion therapy breaks down as what are the techniques in gay conversion therapy what do they do to make you quote unquote ex gay and who are the types of people who live their life like this. And we didn't want to, to have a commentary on it. We just wanted to present those facts. And it really mostly is a teen film about a girl's sexual coming of age. Um, I really love John Hughes films. I wanted to make my own little breakfast club and have it, matter to me i i feel like so little on screen is an honest look at women's sexuality that isn't performative and like wank bank material yeah yeah. so um that's what we wanted to make and so it was mostly just trying to be as honest as possible and preserve the dignity of the world of the gay conversion therapy center which to me was just like a weird hybrid of of a rehabilitation center, jail, and boarding school. Yeah, yeah. And it it did, it jumped out the fact that it didn't seem to be trying to pass comment on any of it. It didn't seem to be trying to make a big statement or push an agenda. And I think that's, it's an exciting thing in in in, in, in gay cinema, in, in cinema that has gay storylines. I really, or, or last time I was in, in, in New York, uh, weirdly, there was a, a cinema that was screening, Beach rats that had, had yeah, just come out, I love beach and it rats. blew me away. I thought it was amazing for 
for a film that is the whole story is about sexuality and gayness and all this but it didn't feel like there was any agenda being pushed it was very much here's some stuff that happened yeah and it was it was beautiful and that came to mind when i was watching this it didn't feel as if it was saying or even trying to be empowering or trying to be anything it was just telling a story yeah and, and being and well it's about i to me and when i read the book i felt this so overwhelmingly that it was about what it is to become to be a teenager like to me no matter who you are if you're gay straight whatever ethnicity you hit 12 11 and you start to feel like you're diseased yeah and it doesn't matter what it is and for here homosexuality is like a really good example of that because it's quite clear cut but whatever is going on with you, whatever differentiates you from the norm is, is your Achilles heel and your illness and you need to exercise yourself of it. And the film gay conversion therapy was to me just like a metaphor for something really great that any like greater that anyone could relate to, which was just being a teenager. Yeah. And that's what it was to me, this idea of just like how disgusted you feel with yourself and what if you could try to change it, how would you change it? Yeah. And that's, what's great. It's works that, uh, set within the gay community in some way but they're not alienating in any way it doesn't feel as if my my six-year-old dad would feel uncomfortable turning on the bisexual i mean he's a massive fan of maxine peaks so he will be watching anyway because she's just amazing i'm curious to see what the sex how that divides people yeah it gets kind of graphic sometimes in episode three it gets a little graphic so i'm like really nervous about that but um i i really I'm curious to see what Maxine Peake fans think because yeah. it's such a different thing for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. She's phenomenal. She's absolutely amazing. Funny Cow earlier earlier this year was one of my films of the year and she's just, yeah, she's seeing her in this. It was. It's a completely different character. Um, yeah. Yeah, she can do anything. She blew me away. So going back to the bisexual, yeah. I'm going to jump all over the yeah, place. Sorry, it's gonna I'm gonna going to be a mess. Going no, we started I'm, no, I'm going to do it. I, I took it up here. Um, how was it? Or, or, or was it important to you to address the kind of that unspoken t- t- taboo that we mentioned earlier of how tough it can be to come out as straight or as bisexual when you've you've made this again? There seems to be so much because of the the, the power of the internet now. There's 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 so much support and rightfully so for people coming out as gay because yeah. for many years there wasn't, and it's really important that we've made this drive to say it's okay. We're getting more and more public figures being strong and bold and, and inspirational about it but there isn't really any of that for someone who's made this huge decision to come out as gay and then feel oh was i faking that <laughs> well, was well, i lying because that looked cool it's like, it. what are the it's not something that sneaks up on you you came out as gay for a reason because yeah. that felt easier than the weird middle ground gray truth yeah of bisexuality which is neither here nor there yeah I came out as bisexual, so this plot of the show doesn't exactly reflect my personal experience, but I wanted to create a, create that dramatic structure of... Um, so basically, this, the, the show follows a woman in her 30s that has been lesbian-identified her whole life and is kind of outed as bisexual yeah. and leaves her partner, her longtime partner, who's played by Maxine Peake, and starts seeing men for the first time in her life in her thirties and kind of, you know, loses her, her heterosexual virginity, her man virginity or has sex with a man for the first time. Basically I set that up thinking 
where's the discomfort that we can claim onto there? Because yeah. it's uncomfortable for both gays and straights to hear that. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of a weird taboo. Yeah, completely. Again, it's, it's, it's odd b- b- because of the portrayals and perceptions in, in the media and in society in the past to come out as gay feels like a more definitive, here's my statement. To come out as bisexual, for a lot of men, will sound quite sexy. We're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Why not? you're bisexual. This sure. sounds, this sounds like a lot goes. of fun. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's not as big a statement, or it doesn't feel as big a statement in those areas, but it is, and it yeah. should be. So it, I completely understand how the first statement of gay could be the wise choice to say, no, this is serious. This isn't, again, as you address in, in, in the club scene, this isn't me and my friends get drunk on a night out and sometimes we kiss in front of boys. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, you know, in... Yeah. Well, well, I think it's hard to relate to if you are only attracted... If you're straight or gay, I think it's very hard to relate to someone who... For whom gender is not a deciding factor. Yeah. In their attractions. I think that um, it's also hard to have visibility around it because you're automatically gay if you're with your same-sex partner or yeah. straight if you're with your opposite-sex partner. Yeah. It's not something you can really be visually. Yeah, openly. yeah, of course. Um, and also there's this sense of, like, a bit disingenuous. Yeah. Like, where are your allegiance? You know, yeah. where, where, Tell us, tell the truth. Tell what, the truth. What do you really like? Where are you always looking over their shoulder? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels um, duplicitous. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, when you were writing the script was there any point that you went why am i bothering with a tv series when i've come up with the best app idea ever because what because 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 what their business is based on is an app that is shazam for as soon as i heard it it's it's shazam for for fashion so you can just and as i was watching that going like that's not like just a plot point. That's a, that's a, that, that should be on that would be on Dragon's Den. So was there a point where we went, hang on, the big money here isn't okay. in making this TV show. It's in making the app that we've made up in this TV so show. In this TV show, Maxine Peake's character and and my character have this startup for Shazam for clothes, and so I co-write the scripts with Tachilia. Right, and that was one hundred percent her idea. It's amazing. It's a it's really, a really good, good idea. idea. But I'm sure someone's working on it. Yeah. But I will must say, be. I I should have made her patent it. Yeah, because she pitched it. <laughs> I was watching it just like that. Someone must be working on it. I mean, it seems impossible, though. But like to, but I guess if you Shazam someone's outfit, it'll like, I think it would be very hard, but I'm sure someone's working on it right now. It's such a great idea. There's, there's so I, many honestly, things I've seen. Honestly, if I could do anything other than the job I do, I do it. I'm just, I'm just useless outside of this work. Um, what were your or what are your influences as a director and as a writer? Um, what are, are there any particular filmmakers? I've kind of as as I was watching um, the, the the bisexual, I loved that it it kind of goes along very humorously and then really punches you in the heart with some drama. And it made me think of of Togetherness, which oh. was a TV show that didn't really come over here and. It was only because a friend of mine got married to one of the people in it and was like, have you seen Togetherness to Steve um, Sizis, who's who's the best friend oh, in it. Oh, yeah. I didn't know his name. He's wonderful. Oh, he's, 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 he's wonderful. Cool. Um, but I kind of thought, oh, I'll watch it to support That's a, a really friend and all that. And it 
blew me away. It, so at first, it felt like, oh, it's about grown-up relationships. But it did exactly that. It drew you into, I think it was about, or I think it was the end of the first series. That I was like, I'm enjoying this lightly and frivolously. And then there was a big scene at the end of the last series. That I was like, <laughs> my, hat, my hairs were standing up. And that had... That kind of feel was in in, in, yeah. in bisexual, where there's quite slapsticky kind of yeah, mistakes really stumbling along, and, and then really as soon lose. as something really emotional there, it, it was kind of your heart's in your mouth. Yeah. So Thanks. yeah, so who what have been your kind of influences, or what do you look upon as as pushing you in that direction? You know, I think I misinterpret dramas as comedy all the time. Yeah. So like growing up, I really loved Chekhov. Which sounds so pretentious, but I had a writing teacher who was like, you should read Chekhov like it's comedy. Yeah. And I did. And I was like, oh, my God, they're just wow. like Persians. Yeah. They feel so sorry for themselves. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> so Amazing. my humor has always been really dark. And um, but I grew up loving Tracy Ullman. Right. And weirdly, Benny Hill. That was someone who played in the Amazing. house a lot. Uh and and Mr. Bean. I also love Mel Brooks films. Yeah. That's like the very slapstick element of my life. But in movies, I I love um, Lynn Ramsey. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Morvern Collar and, yeah. and Ratcatcher are two of my favorite films. Um, uh, and you were never really here, just took I me by surprise this year. It it's amazing. I've been I edit for so long and I haven't watched movies lately. It's my regret of the year so far was that I was offered Lynn Ramsey on the podcast and I hadn't seen Wait, I'd, no, I'd, you I hadn't not. seen her early work and I'd seen um oh, we need to talk She'd about be Kevin. She's so good to talk talk to as well. I know. And and they kind of so offered smart. I said I'll wait until I've seen the film but I'm very busy at the moment. Press. I've yeah, got yeah, a lot yeah. on and then I saw a, a later screen of the film and I was like I will do anything to get and yeah in the end it couldn't happen but I've let her people know that no, I'll drive to Scotland. Get, if she's at yeah. home in Scotland, I'll drive up and we'll have a chat. Cause yeah, she's is my idol. Yeah. She's amazing. Right. She's the, amazing. the, the, the powerfulness, the subtle powerfulness. It's not, I liken it to the first music I got really into was punk rock and punk in the seventies the and eighties was something I went back to. And I'd realized that the punk I'd got into in the nineties the or noughties was all going really fast and that's where it got its energy and aggression from but then you go back and listen to uh, the pistols or the clash or whomever else and they they're not that fast uh, songs they're quite slow but they've got that confidence in the aggression and in the message that again across that they don't have to go a thousand miles an hour to go look how crazy we are it's it's wild over here and that's what i feel with, with lynn ramsey it doesn't feel as if she's sitting there going i need to smash you in the face with with what's like going Patty on smith too yeah yeah, 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 Real completely. Power. Just the power, yeah, the confidence to go, I will go at whatever pace I want and it will yeah. still be intimidating and scary and powerful. And yeah, yeah. I got that. So um, what were your kind of influences on, on shooting style or, 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 or how do you kind of choose to change that along the way? Because I f- feel there was a noticeable difference from the ones that you've been in to the one that you weren't in. And it started, it felt like it almost had, a documentary feel, uh, uh, which I loved, that it was picking up small actions of people in the background, of people who aren't mm-hmm. the, the main characters, and it just made it feel really intimate and real in that way. So, so you mean Cameron Post versus? Yes, yes, show. yes. So with Cameron Post, we they've were got long titles. It's really hard for me to no, remember when it's. No, don't worry <laughs> about like, it. So I'm like the one you weren't in. The that one, one I'm not in. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so. 
with Cameron Post, we were much more measured. It was, we wanted to create tableaus. And I, I looked at Morven Collar for that. Cause yeah. she, well, not for the tableau, sorry. I looked at Todd Haynes for that. Like right. his film Safe. He made a film with Julianne Moore yes. in the 90s that um, takes place a lot at a rehabilitation center. So the way that was very measured, very well framed, yeah. very... Um, Almost stylized, almost yeah. documentary, somewhere in the middle. I also looked at Morvern Collar because it lives so much in the close-up. Yeah. And uh, Chloe... So, Chloe Moretz plays the lead in that film, and it's a bit of an, of an ensemble, but um, the, in the book, so much of the book is this girl's inner monologue. Yeah. And we didn't want to do voiceover. We wanted to tell this go- girl's story just through what was going on in front of her, and it lent itself a lot to living in the close-up and Chloe's an actor who can communicate a lot without dialogue in a yeah. close-up. So we, we looked a lot at the style of Morven Collar and the lighting. We used a lot of natural light yeah. with that. And so that was the jumping off point in that, but I was able to be much more measured and much more, um, painstakingly specific with the way that I shot, yeah. like some, some, like the, the serial scene at the end with yeah. Rick, uh, of Cameron Post, where the yes. they're leaving and he's just eating cereal for a long time. Um, it's one of the later scenes in the Miseducation of Cameron Post, and it's just one frame. That yeah. that film lives a lot. A lot of scenes, like two of the sex scenes, are just in one locked off frame. Yeah, in the car and in the bedroom, and then the same thing happened for this very dramatic moment that we were supposed to shoot in close up. But then when I watched the rehearsal, it just seemed like the entire the way the the head of counselor of the gay conversion therapy center just eats breakfast and he's just eating cereal and it just struck me as incredibly sad. Yeah. And the kids are in the forefront, but he's in the in the the background. Yeah. And it's mostly them framing his body as eating and suddenly it was like, Oh, that whole story is in that one frame. Yeah. And I think not acting in something and not wearing so many hats gave me the freedom to be able to tell the story in one frame with a lot of depth of field. Completely, but I think it kind of, um, you'd already shown the, the the ability to tell those stories in that way in appropriate behaviour because I felt the last scene in that just blew me away because of that, just going, it's just, we're just, there, were, there was a, a show over here called Little Boy Blue, which had Stephen Graham in, who's taken me under his wing as I've started acting. He's, he's one of my favourite actors in the world, so it's been a beautiful thing. But the last... It's, all, it's a true story, and it's there's some horrible stuff happens, and he's a policeman. And the last scene in that, he just has got to the end of this case, and he takes a deep breath outside his house, and then he walks th- through his house to join his family in a, at a barbecue in the kitchen. He doesn't say a word, but you you get the whole story, everything that's happening from just being on on his face and i felt that at the end of of of, of appropriate uh, behavior and of of camera post and that kind of not needing to go of course yeah you know not spoon you know what's going on there <laughs> of course that's and and um the french have always been amazing at it uh, no. uh, uh, allowing space allowing time to pass and sure, doing with the things French like that filmmaker is so good i've Catherine got a theory Rilla, on it if you'd like to be bored with yes, it um I, olivier sas i mean i'm a big yeah. french film fan well that was it and the, and i'm a genuine believer it's why for, I, was, I, I met a friend of mine the other day who's a, who's a writer and he's, he's very successful and he's an american he was saying you you're acting now why aren't you coming to america and i was like well 
I don't think America's the be all and end all anymore. And it's not I think China there's now. So Let's much, go there. yeah, 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 exactly. But there's so, so much in Europe, and I think the problem that and people who are listening to this m- might get bored because it's my it's my big belief at the moment that I push upon everyone. But America and England in the seventies had Star Wars, which yeah. is I love Star Wars. It's amazing, but it made films become about spectacle. Not only about storytelling, there was the, it's this big, look, all singing, all dancing, this stuff going on. Non-English speaking countries didn't have their Star Wars. They So the French and there's, there's loads of amazing stuff coming out of, of, of Scandinavia and things like that. They didn't oh, have that. Sure. So I'm they, obsessed with Ruben Oswald. Yeah, 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 yeah. I fucking force majeure of the past five years. Yeah, that and the lobster are my like two favorite yeah. films. Yeah, contemporary. And yeah, that's it. It's kind of I don't, because they didn't have that. They've continued because again, you go back in English speaking films and you look at the greats and the biggest films in cinema history, and they're not blockbusters. They have they're long. They have time as Citizen Kane and things like that have stuff playing out and beautiful subtleties. So I think this is a, I think a it strong theory. <laughs> generally, but um, that. have you seen this is stopping being a podcast and just becoming a conversation now but have you seen a prayer before dawn oh my god i've only okay i think you really like no, it but i've seen the first 10 minutes because yeah. i i worked with a producer who was working on that yeah and he showed me before they premiered and i was like <gasps> it's my, amazing in 10 minutes my my yeah. stomach was in my esophagus yeah. and i i felt it so remains there excited and i yeah. can't wait to sit and watch it all it's really great and it's got a similar thing towards towards the end where the big ending a reveal is completely to the audience to make assumptions and uh, and to put together. Yeah. They don't spoon feed it at all. And what blew me away again? I went into a, a preview just like, oh, I'll give it a look. I like I like combat sports, yeah, um, and, and I like <laughs> I Joe Cole. Um, but the whole film, Joe Cole is the only person who speaks any English, and there's no s- subtitles, and that's mind blowing because you realise how much. How much dialogue isn't the be all and end all, and how much yeah. so much of telling a story is the visuals and the approach and the framing and the atmosphere? And yeah, it's great. But speaking of that, um, in Cameron Post, I thought I, I, I loved what you were saying about a locking off for shots because, particularly, you, you mentioned the sex scene in the car. I thought the beautiful thing of the framing and everything on that was it locked off but still qu- quite close. So yeah. not close close but still quite close and and i was reading a while ago um a load of notes that that were put together of, of of bresson and he was saying how the mistake that early cinema made was trying to just film a play hmm. and a play is a play it's yeah. it, it's got its own thing it shouldn't be a means to an end yeah. and the great thing of cinema is when you can feel in the middle of it and that came and that's an early scene and that came out straight away that that you felt right in the middle of it not in a creepy sexy way but just but you did feel right in there there was stuff that you're not seeing and you're not catching and it would have been easy to make a choice to to switch povs to cut away to move move back and forth but that simple early scene just really it set that up and then i said the close-ups and things like that work chloe is just allowing it all uh, allowing whatever is going on at that time to play out it meant that yeah it felt so intimate and personal and and real i guess so how was that to kind of 
to make that almost brave choice because again if there's any imposter syndrome or anything like that the 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 urge is to let's let's shoot it every way we can let's cover it let's make sure we've got it because otherwise people are going to go you fucked that up didn't you you so how was that to kind of go no this is what this is how it I, i need it to look and need it to be well you go into a shoot with intentions and a shot list and um your idea of how you think it should be and you overthink it. But honestly, when you get to set and you watch a rehearsal or you look at a location and the actors and the tools in front of you and the clock next to you, you're like, all right, what's the best thing I can make with these tools? And yeah. that shoot was fantastic because my cinematographer was very much the same way. It was like, yeah. okay, these are the ingredients. What's for dinner? Yeah. And I love it. When we got there, it was like the end of the day. We were, we had just shot prom. We were, it was the first week of shooting and I, it was the first week of shooting that film was the hardest week. We had 23 days to shoot the whole thing. And I was still feeling out Chloe and she was feeling me out. And yeah. the sense I got from that week was that she didn't want any backseat driving. Yeah. And she didn't really want, like she had her own ideas of what she wanted to do. And I needed to get out of her way. Yeah. And when it came to this scene, like I came outside, she was in her costume, everything else was wrapping up with the many extras. We Like it was kind of a circus of a day and a circus of a week. And all the lights were set up and the whole crew was gathered around this car for this sex scene. And I remember just thinking, this is wrong. Like right. this isn't what I want. So I grabbed my first AD and I said, hide everyone. Like let's all, and myself and the monitors and everything. I put Chloe and Quinn Shepard, who plays uh, Coley, her girlfriend, in another car to rehearse. And I said, okay, you guys know the script, just rehearse it. And they went off and we hid all of us in the building nearby. And then the girls came out and said, we're done rehearsing. And I was like, all right, we're going to shoot it. And I didn't even watch a rehearsal. And it was Ashley Connor, the cinematographer in the front seat, the girls in the back seat, and the focus puller hid underneath the car. And I had shown Ashley a lot of Nan Golden photographs before Mm -hmm. we got into the shoot, and I really loved Nan Golden. And we kind of knew the lighting, and Ashley's very good at lighting fast and and using natural light. So we used a lot of natural light there and from the school building. It was nighttime, so it was mostly from the school in the parking lot. And I thought... I have no idea what I'm about to watch. <laughs> yeah. But I just got this sense that I can't orchestrate. And before then, I had starred in all my sex scenes. Yeah. And I had storyboards for it. I knew where every hand goes, where every shot is. I was When I'm in a scene, I like to really know where I'm going. Yeah. But the sense I got that day was that Chloe had an agenda and something that she wanted to communicate. And if it wasn't... Out. Yeah, and if it wasn't on par with what I wanted, I would go in and change it. But I kind of thought she deserved the opportunity to give it a go. Completely. And so I stood by the monitor with uh, my producing partner, and we watched the first take, and it was the most excited I've ever been behind a monitor. Wow. I had no idea what I was about to get. Yeah. But it was just magic. Yeah. Okay, I I, I hope it's okay to get a little graphic on this. Is go there- ahead, go ahead. What's so funny, and I hope Chloe's not embarrassed for me to say this, but it's a testament to her performance because it's all simulated. No sex happened, obviously. You can, on her face and with her voice and with her excitement, like it's this girl's losing her virginity. Yeah. It's these two girls, they're kissing the back of a car and 
the other girl tells Chloe, I want to try something. And she pulls down her panties. And you could feel the second that her fingers enter her. Yeah, completely. As a viewer, you're like, oh my God. That like, just happens, just, yeah. And you, it's, you can't see shit. Yeah. Like, it's not that graphic. No. The girls are wearing their clothes the whole time. It's not lascivious. It's The light's pretty low. But it's so intimate and so genuine and reminds you so much of, like, early sex with, like, the one you loved in the backseat of a car that it took my breath away. Yeah. And I – that wasn't anything I was anticipating before I got there that day. It just happened. I love it. And and it it is a breathtaking scene. And I think the mistake that people make so much in TV and cinema and stuff like that is thinking that the exciting thing is – the sex or the kiss or any of that and anyone who's had any kind of nervous teenage life will know the moment that your heart is really racing is when you're getting closer and closer and nearer to a kiss and thinking about and that that moment there is the bit that's the the mind-blowing thing it's not the actual kiss itself that's kind of a relief at point because like Oh, we are doing yeah. this. Oh, this was, this is what we wanted. Okay, this is fine. I but can... just them looking. I mean, they're they're back there smoking weed at yeah. first, and it's like the transition from them just smoking weed to actually hooking up is the m- most sexually explicit moment in the film. It's, yeah. it's them feeling each other out. Yeah, I love the confidence there as as a a director as well to allow them to just do it you could hear that and go well that's good because that's kind of you've not had to do anything there but you have because you've had to have the confidence to go i believe in this I let's give this a go i spent a lot of time on that shoot giving people space to try shit out and i yeah. think a lot of people on that film um the heads of department and performers felt ownership of it yeah and i'm really proud of that i think it's the best things in that movie are things that i didn't bring to the table yeah and ideas that other people had. And I think that's why it's such a great film. And I learned a lot on that shoot. I learned that, I th- this is a quote from another director, I don't remember who, but I heard someone say this and it didn't make sense until I made this film. He said, I don't make the film. I am the film. Yeah. Like the crew makes the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's my job to embody and communicate that we're all on the same page and to yeah. oversee. And I feel very much like a conductor. Like, if something needs to crescendo, I, like, slowly... If someone needs to be left alone, I leave them alone. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's my job to take the temperature and make sure that everyone's taken care of and is on the same page. Yeah. But I don't make shit. They do. And that was the experience uh, that taught me that. It's amazing. And I got some advice. I had Jimmy Iovine on the podcast, and he gave us some advice. And it's advice that's a little on the nose for this industry because it seems too obvious but with your writing and producing partners and things like that it feels exactly like that he said the key to success creatively is casting your life well because he said because he said if you cast your life well if someone tells you something you've done is wrong you don't mind because you know that they're great you know that they're brilliant if you've not if you've got people around who you kind of think are dicks if they pick something apart you'll be like you'll be offended, you'll get defensive <laughs> and things like that. And it, it feels like you've really got that where you've got your people that you work yeah. with and that you trust that will say, no, that's not working. Here's how we should do it. And you'll kind of go, cool, I respect you enough. And that then seems like that's that's what's led you into that amazing approach of directing without having that arrogance of feeling to be 
So you have to this hold is on my to film. It. I need yeah. to put my stamp on it and make sure everyone knows I've done this. It's going, no, as long as we do the work beforehand yeah. and put all the right people in here, have the right AD, even the right runners, everything, oh, yeah. then, then we can make this great and it won't be um, a massive a battle. I always throughout. like to say, like, prove me wrong. Yeah. Like, this is what I think, but prove me wrong. If you don't agree with me, I'm very happy to be proven wrong. Yeah. And I like that on set, people feel empowered to bring themselves to the table, yeah. their own investment. And I, I feel really confident because I curate a great team of people. Yeah. This, this is going to sound like an odd question now, but how do you find um, a social media? Because that has the it has the opposite. I don't think that's a weird question. I was going to say it has the opposite approach to that. It doesn't have a approve me wrong. It has a if you disagree, <laughs> we're enemies, totally. and you're a bitch or a dick or yeah. whatever else. And it instantly is. It's one of the things I've always loved. I I get nothing more exciting than than the really realizing I was was wrong about something because you've just been educated and yeah. you've just been brought up to. I thought that for ages, and now I've learned that that's not quite right. Amazing. I'm better now. And you're now. enhancing that. Yeah, I'm better now. Yeah. Like you're enhancing a point of view. And I think that's when you feel someone's insecurity when they're holding on so tightly to something. I, I'm i not nervous about my standing when yeah. I'm directing something. And I, I like people bringing things to the table because I don't have all the answers. Who does? No. I just have a, an opinion and it could be wrong. Yeah. Um, I hate social media and I'm not on it. I, I'm on Twitter and I'd like to leave it. And I'm like, I just this week I was like, there's no need for me to be like, I've never tweet. It's tough, isn't it? I'm not. I, it's, it's tough. Once you leave, it's fine. It's not tough. Like, I've just had a week off of all social media. I started a Patreon for a few things. And I, I kind of said, right, as I've started this, I'll only be here for a bit. Mm-hmm. And I'll do a week off. And it's been amazing because you realize that on None of something... those conversations matter. No. None of those conversations, exactly. the virtual conversations matter in real life at all. Exactly that. And you did, kind of, you, you, you don't have all these people just chipping in because someone else that they know has replied to you therefore it's now on their timeline it's this kind of no it's yeah i think i respect that for some people it's incredible and empowering yeah. i really do admire like if you, it works for you great it well that's the thing for me. the 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 issue i'm at at this stage is of 10 yeah, years does it work of, for or, me? or that's it I'd, i wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for social media my music Huge. career came through that started Holy my a record label through that and the podcast all launched through social media. So it's that, but then where my focus now for the next, however many years I'm alive is acting and writing and, and maybe directing one day and all these kind of things. None of that is relevant to social media. And it's that weird thing of a weird balance of, well, I don't really need it, but but then also a, a respect for the fact that it's given me so much. It would feel rude now to go, Cheers, guys. I'm off over here to do Hollywood shit. I'll, I'll, I'll see enough. you later. But, but it's like, do it's you confusing. express yourself through it? Here's the thing. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people do express themselves on yeah. social media. There are these people who use Instagram as an art form yeah, or whatever. And if you're doing that, if you feel like you're exporting something on there that represents you, that's beautiful. But I think if you feel like you're not communicating with it, yeah. then fuck that. But I hear you if my audience communicated with me that way yeah i would feel really uh married to it yeah but it is it's 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 a confusing one and at the very least i think everyone needs to take a step back and analyze how they 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 use it because again are you using it to get really angry every day and to get stressed and if you are then don't i find myself on it like reading things i don't really post 
because I'm just on Twitter, but I don't post very often. I find yeah. myself reading things in my loneliest moments, yeah. which is why I think I need to leave it because yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like yeah. looking into someone's window. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it only speaks to a very lonely, like 4 a.m. insomnia place in me that um, doesn't need encouragement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're at the hour mark, but I okay. want to get some more in before someone appears at the window okay. and tells us that we're almost done. Um, I loved appropriate behavior. I thought it was fantastic. And what I really enjoyed was how it stumbles through the the really quick changing world of gender and sexuality and everything. Um, I had a year or two ago now, I had a, a young lady called... There is some at the window now. Um, I had a young lady on, on the podcast called Jordan Gray, who, who, who um, is a trans... A lady since coming on, she went on X Fact on on The Voice and got to the finals oh, and stuff cool. like that. But she was hugely eye opening for me because it was the first trans lady I'd had on, and I was like, "Oh, I've got a lot of questions." And quite early on, she was like, "You realise I can only answer for me, right? Oh. That I can't answer for the whole <laughs> community." And, and I was like, "Of course you can't. I'm such an idiot." Yeah. But there was, the, and that is such a huge thing in society <laughs> now. It's like, "Oh, so is this term okay?" It's like. It's okay to me. It might yeah, not be okay yeah. to you. And that's what I loved. Everyone in... always asks me about like the LGBTQI community. Yeah. Every question I've taken in the past few months has been like <laughs> about the community. How has the community responded? And I was yeah. like, I don't know. We well, don't have a bad Well, we all met up on Thursday and yeah, everyone's very happy at the moment. <laughs> Mary's not too pleased about something that's been going on. But but it is crazy because that is a thing that happens. But I loved in appropriate behavior it, 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 it skewers that and addresses that and shows that even people in the community can be skewered yeah, by the confusion of changing terms totally. of what's acceptable and what's not and that was yeah that was kind of a good thing to to get across but the thing that as we're wrapping th- things up the thing i got uh, uh, to the end of it and the thing that struck me the most was looking at the at the release date of it mm-hmm. which was, was was 2014 and then being confused why I didn't hear about it when the whole, whole world exploded over Fleabag. Because I, <laughs> I felt tonally, just, just the style of all of it was so similar. And it was pre that. And it was, it was amazing to watch because I thought, oh, this is obviously influenced a bit by Fleabag by a few other things. And I was like, no, it came out long before that. So how is that to see the kind of stuff that you were trying to... I wouldn't think anyone has ripped anyone off or copied anyone no, i think that's just the, the 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 excitement of different ideas bubbling up in different places at the same time but well we're different also like respect to phoebe waller bridge like her direct to camera is lovely yeah that yeah. is a hard thing to pull off tonally yeah. uh performance wise and i love the way she does it yeah things catch in different ways i'm trying in my life to keep how I keep saying is like, I just don't, I'm trying not to look over my shoulder. And a lot of moving to London was that Yeah, I had grown up in the New York indie film scene. And when my first film came out, it was like, Oh, you're a bootleg, cheaper, browner, gayer Lena Dunham. Right. And it was like, Oh, you're just a few years late to the party. And it felt really good moving to a country where I didn't know anyone on the scene. Amazing. I didn't give a shit. I was next to my collaborator. Like I moved here because I felt like my sense of humor made sense here and I was happier here than I was yeah. anywhere else, but also my writing and producing partner is here. So 
who's my best friend and who let me sleep on her couch for three months. Perfect. So, and I was unemployed. And so I was like, okay, great. I'll sleep on your couch and we'll write our next movie and we'll figure it out together and we'll empower each other every step of the way. But I try not to listen to what's going on. Like I don't, I would define for myself what success is and success is like, do I, am I telling the stories I want to tell the way I want to tell them? And am I paying my rent doing it? Yeah. And if that's the case, which it is right now, then you're a success. Yeah. What hits the zeitgeist, what does well, like, I don't know. I thought it did fine. Like it, yeah. it was, I was so pleased that it did this, the work it did. And yeah. I really love Phoebe Waller bridge. I think that, Fleabag does some really special things and and it's cool that it exists and when it I was very excited to watch it when it came out and I never for a minute thought why is this catching in a way my my film didn't because that didn't occur to me until you just said it <laughs> so now I feel kind of bad about that I've ruined your film for you you can and Fleabag for you as well I've ruined two wonderful medium. things I didn't yeah. even think about it because it's a different medium yeah um the only time that I've become aware of the world around me is when we, when Cameron Post won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. Yeah. Amazing. And it took us two months to sell it. Wow. And usually if you, like, I mean, I just didn't think it would take us two months to get U.S. distribution for the film. And the distribution deal was, was very low. And um, it just wasn't a viable financial investment and it really shocked me because it's such a low budget film yeah and that felt like and when you've had confirmation that it's good when you it's good people have told us it's not just us telling you it's good people have confirmed this well the winners of that award go on for oscar campaigns you know um precious won that award fruitvale station ryan coogler's first feature um whiplash yeah beast of the southern wild it's a legacy and it's mostly male dominated and it's films mm-hmm. that have big releases. And when we found ourselves in that position, I thought, okay, now it's time to look over your shoulder and see what's different about your work than other people's work. And I very much think with that film and that example, it was a matter of us being a story of female sexual coming of age. Yeah. And I've been thinking about it a lot and it's like, God, how many times have I been haunted by the image of Jason Biggs sticking his dick in a pie? Yeah. And that was mainstream and hilarious, but like Chloe Moretz, uh, fucking a girl in the backseat of a car, not mainstream enough, like too niche. I think that's one of the, the, the important things or a good place to kind of end is that it's exciting how far things have come, but it's also really important to be aware that we're not done yet. There's still a long way to go. Discomfort with women's desire. And that's been on my mind lately about like, what is it about female desire? And I think I, it's equated with power and like, there's a reason why the most, you know, um, experienced presidential candidate lost to the least experienced presidential candidate. It's because she had a pussy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a fascinating one. Like it's, it's, I've, I've been watching the same happening with, Sorry to bother you, that, that blew up in America. At present, it still hasn't yeah. got a, a UK distribution. And I used to run a, a, a film night at one of the oldest cinemas in London. And I'd already said, I'd spoken to Boots. I was like, mate, I'm going to have it on here. I'll bring my film night back just I for Sorry to Bother You. Cause, why not? And they were like, well, it's already screened in the States and they're bootlegs. And I was like, that's a bullshit answer. It's so dumb. There's right? no reason. But 
It's funny. The race thing is really interesting because I thought that post Black Panther, it would just be another world. But I remember yeah. when Pariah came out in the States and made a huge deal with Focus Features um, and it's a black coming of age film and it was doing well in the States. But then for foreign uh, distribution, it was nothing. Black yeah. casts, films with black casts just aren't picked up in Europe. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Well, I'll end it there. Okay. What's ahead and where can people... Or what are your plans? Obviously, I guess what as this comes out, it'll either be the week before or the week of um, the bisexual starting on Channel Four. Oh, cool. So, so well, what's, what's kind of the if the that? Plan? Let's hope that Cameron Post is still in some cinema. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. of Cameron Post is my second film, and yep. it's in cinemas now. And now is September, so hopefully in October it'll still be in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the bisexual will be coming out in October, and I th- yep. believe it's playing Wednesday nights at ten on Channel Four. Fantastic! And uh, right now, I'm writing a book. And I don't. I'm struggling. But uh, how painful is that so far? It's really painful. It feels so much more personal than and and vulnerable than writing any script I've ever written. So, ugh, why did I do this to myself? Amazing. Well, I look f- I look forward to seeing how that how that turns out. And thank you for making the time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Scroobish Pits Discretion Pieces. Now, how can you have heard that and not want to go and watch everything that this amazing woman has uh, has produced? Um, yeah, wonderfully exciting uh, chat. And I, as I said, I recommend you watch The Bisexual tonight. And, and this one was recorded in a week where I just was on a roll with just people I'd met for the first time and just hit it off. Uh, so next week I've got Dr. Kate Devlin on, who um, is the author of a book called Turned On, and it's like it, it's a history of of AI robots and sex toys and sex robots and all of their kind of overlapping areas, and it's f- fascinating. And then after that on Friday I've got Gizzy Erskine on, who I've been meaning to have on for ages, um, who also has a new book out called Slow Food that's worth waiting for or taking your time over i think but i'll have the correct title on the intro of that but yeah so two next week um a wash with wonderful uh, uh, women at the moment on the distraction pieces podcast which is fantastic um i recommend you check out um everything else on the distraction pieces network uh films to be buried with has been amazing of late jack whitehall was the guest last week i sent him a message immediately abusing him because he agreed to come on my podcast about a year ago and he hasn't come on yet. Then Brett releases one, and he goes on that immediately. Unbelievable. Thankfully, it's fantastic. Stu Whiffin has his off-the-beaten track, as well as Hardcore Listing, both of which are on a roll at the moment. Stop and Search has been smashing it. Say Why to Drugs exists there as an archive for all of you. And Tuesday Night Jaw has returned, which is exciting for all, all wrestling fans. So, yeah. Anyway, check them all out. I'll leave it at that, and I'll talk to you next week. Ta-ta.
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.